Well, my, my wife, uh, while she was away in Albania last week, our whole family really missed her, uh, especially my three-year-old daughter, Emma. And at one point in the week, she just lost it because she missed her mom so much. She started moaning and crying at the top of her lungs, Mommy, I miss Mommy. And she went on and on like that. No matter what I said or I did, I could not seem to comfort her. And by the way, we were grocery shopping at Kroger at the time that uh, this happened. So I took her and the rest of the kids to the self-checkout area, and I asked Emma if she would help me to bag the groceries to kind of distract her. And it was actually really sweet. She did. She, she moved the groceries from one place to the other, but the whole time she was saying, Mom, I want Mom! And I, I felt like everyone near me was staring at me and judging me in their hearts. And this has never happened to me before in the grocery store, so I, I wasn't sure exactly what the protocol was. Uh, was I supposed to say something to everyone that was around me, make an announcement of some kind that her mother was in the Albania and she'd be back soon, or, or should I just put my head down and pretend it wasn't happening? And that's what I did. <laughs> until a woman who was either a cashier or an angel in disguise, I'm not sure which, came over and she gave Emma a Kroger sticker. And you know what? It worked. It worked. It, it, she was comforted. It calmed her right down and everything in her world was good again. And I learned really a very important lesson about parenting that day, and, and that is to never underestimate the power of a sticker. <laughs> Someone told me stickers are the currency of children, and that's true. I, I, I learned that. Well, do you know what I wish? I wish with all my heart that those same stickers had that same power on the rest of us. I mean, I wish that, that I could, uh, uh, that all it would take to comfort every person who's here this morning that's feeling sad or depressed or who is struggling or hurting in some way was just to give you a sticker. If that was the case, I would have gone to Kroger myself this morning, gotten a pack from that woman, and I would have passed them out right now to anyone who feels like they might need some comfort. And if it would work, I have a feeling I would have a lot of takers Well, the passage that we've come to this morning is about finding comfort in times of affliction. And that experience of discomfort, that feeling of being squeezed and crushed by the pressures and afflictions of life is universal for every person. Suffering is experienced by everyone who lives on earth. But what we're going to look at here today is something that the Apostle Paul is going to talk about that is not universal, meaning it is not experienced by every person on earth, but that instead is a unique privilege that Christians alone are graciously offered as they face afflictions of all different kinds. One of the greatest benefits and blessing that springs from our identity as God's children is that we are to be the personal recipients in life of God's comfort. If you are hurting here this morning, God wants to extend his comfort into your heart in a way that changes your perspective and impacts your life. Now, there's a place in the Bible that gives us a a promise that I think 
sounds at times like it's too good to be true. It's in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and it says that, that for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, okay? And, and by the way, this is referring to every believer in Christ. Every believer in Christ loves God, and they're called according to his purpose. To, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, the passage says, all things work together for good. Uh, There's a pastor whose name is uh, Ray Ortland, and I think he expressed the implications of this so well. He said, God and God alone can take bloody violence, arrogant injustice, cunning cruelty, and bend it all around to serve a redemptive purpose. Every single affliction that we face in life, Romans 8 promises us, will God will completely and fully and perfectly one day turn to serve the good in our lives. And what's interesting about Romans chapter 8 is that it, that it points us towards the future, right? It, it pictures that day where, when God's people will stand before him and he will wipe every tear from their eye. But the Bible is also clear that that we, even though we won't experience this fully until one day, it's clear that we receive tastes of this on earth here today. That that this work of God restoring and redeeming all things for good is, is already underway in our lives. And you see that in places like James chapter 1. Look at James chapter 1 and you'll see that. Uh, Romans chapter 8, many of the Psalms are about this. There's many examples in the stories of Old Testament uh, saints and individuals and, and the New Testament as well. And as we're going to see today, the same thing is true here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. In this passage, Paul describes at least three ways that God redeems our afflictions by bending something bad into something that's useful for us and in a way that doesn't just happen in the future. It's not just something that we look forward to. It's, it's in the here and now a presence of our lives. And so that's what we want to look at this morning is these three ways that God wants to bend each of our afflictions and to use them for good. The first way that we're going to see in just a moment that God redeems our afflictions is by using them to help us to recognize that God is our only source of comfort in life. God uses our afflictions to help us to see that he is truly the only real source of comfort that we have in life. Uh, Look at what Paul writes just as he starts out this text in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. One of the words that you could underline there, it's a small but important word, it's the word all. It says that God is the source of all comfort in life. And and that word all, of course, means everything. There's no exceptions. God is the only source of comfort in life. And this is really quite a claim if you think about it. I mean, does this really mean that, that, that God is the source of every comfort in life? Somebody might say, well, I believe that God is a source of comfort in life, but I don't think he's the source of every comfort. They might say, well, let me give you an example. When I come home from work after a long, hard day, I know of another comfort, comfort, and that is pot pie from Costco. Give me a, a big spoon, 
a good book, a blanket, and, and a, one of those entire pot pies from, from Costco. Now that is a comfort. And, and you could respond to that by saying, well, yeah, but you know, who made the ingredients to that pot pie, right? And who gave you your senses so that you could enjoy that pot pie? And in that sense, every comfort is from God because God is the source of every good thing that we experience. And that would be true. But what's being said here by the Apostle Paul is something much more rich. He doesn't just mean that God is the source of every comfort in life, but what he's trying to say is that God himself is the ultimate and supreme and only comfort in life. That every other comfort that a person could put in place of God himself will eventually fail them and let them down. Uh, as, as human beings, we are constantly on this search for comfort in life, and we will look anywhere we, we can to find it. I mean, we'll look behind every nook and cranny. We'll turn up every rock and, and log. We'll, we'll try to find it in homes and cars and in sex and in television and in music or, or whatever it is. The, the, the span could go on and on, but God, in, in his great mercy, he uses our afflictions in life to bring us to a place where none of those things will work. You ever been in that place? A place where any comfort that you might have used to go to, it just doesn't work anymore. It, it, it doesn't satisfy. The, the power that it once had to comfort you is, is lost on you. And that's one of the reasons why God allows us to face fear and, and rejection and doubt and, and, and pain and all of those things. It's so that we can finally see that there's nothing inside of us and there's nothing that's around us that really has what we need. If you offer any worldly comfort to a, a man who's in the middle of a deep, depressive episode, or if you offer any worldly comfort to a woman who's just been given the news that she's got terminal cancer, cancer Whatever earthly comfort you offer to either of those people it is certainly not going to be enough. And this is one of the benefits of affliction in life is, is it, it sobers us. It, it, it wakes us up. It clears our heads. It, it, it grounds us. And, and I, I so wish in my own life and, and for the people that I love that we could learn this lesson without having to go through affliction, Right? That we would just have hearts that were soft towards God and, and have hearts that recognized our need and, and dependence on him. But, but we don't. We, we need our afflictions to wake us up. And, and, but if we could just see without that, that our, our, our desire to find satisfaction apart from God is so foolish. It doesn't work. It never lives up to its promises. And in fact, that it is worse than, than foolishness. It's, it's rebellion. It's sinfulness trying to find our ultimate comfort in anything other than God is a denial of, of something that is ultimately true in the universe. It's believing that we can make our own life work. Paul wrote, or maybe it was Paul, it might have been somebody else, wrote in Hebrews chapter 13, 14, For here on earth we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. One of the ways that, that God uses our afflictions in our life is to do the work of tearing our roots from the soil of this world and, and placing us firmly planted into that other.
Uh, Afflictions come from all different corners of life, but true comfort, Paul says, comes only from one place, from the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort. And that's part of what those times of, of suffering are meant to teach us, that any other comfort that we place our trust in is only shifting sand. That's the first way that God redeems our afflictions is he uses them to help us and teach us and to recognize that he is ultimately our only comfort in life. But there's a second way that Paul writes about as as well, and, and that is that God also redeems our afflictions in the here and now by using them so that we might be able to experience the riches of his comfort. Right? God uses our afflictions so that those afflictions become sort of a pathway for us to experience his grace and comfort. Look look at uh, verse 4. Paul writes, The God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. Verse 5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Okay, this is really kind of a fascinating point that Paul is making here. What he's saying is that the abundance of the afflictions that we face is, is what should lead us to the abundance of God's comfort that we should experience. He says, if I didn't experience the suffering that I experienced in life, he says, I would never have had the opportunity to experience the comfort that I experienced in life. I can think of an example of this from my own life. I, I remember when I was in high school, something uh, bad happened to me, or I was really feeling afflicted by something, and um, I was upset. And I remember I went up into my bedroom, I shut the door, and I started to to read my Bible and uh, and pray. And I remember putting my head down on my desk and just weeping. I, I didn't weep much when I was in high school, but I was just weeping, and I was crying out to God for help and and strength. And um, I remember it was one of the first times in my entire life that I I experienced the power of God's comfort. Maybe you can think of a time that you felt that way too. On, On one hand, I felt so dead. I felt so alone. I felt so pressured and so bad by this situation. But on the other side, I don't think I've ever felt so alive in my entire life at that moment. I don't think I've ever felt so loved. I don't think I've ever felt so much peace as I was filled at at that time. Now, I look back on that today, and I have no idea what my problem was that night. Okay? In fact, I probably, if I, if I found out what it was, I would think, wow, that was pretty stupid. <laughs> you know, I really overreacted to that. But that experience of... of, of God's comfort, his presence with me in my life as I wept on my desk is something I'll never forget. In fact, it was formative to me. I don't know that I would even be doing what I'm doing today if I hadn't experienced that comfort from God. And it makes me look back and say to myself, oh man, I'm so glad that whatever that affliction was in my life was in my life. Because if I hadn't had that affliction, would have never known that comfort. And how would I be different today? 
part of what the Apostle Paul is saying here. If we want to find the comfort of God, if you want to find the comfort of God, it's got to start with you being afflicted. The only way to taste comfort is through the doorway of affliction. Now, now think about what this means for, for a couple of minutes here. If comfort can only be experienced through affliction, you know what that means for us? You know how that frees us in just an incredible way? It means that we no longer have to be afraid of facing affliction, right? Because we know that God is able to comfort us through whatever trial or storm it is that that we face. We know that, that God wants to send his comfort into our lives flowing down like a stream that moves ever downward towards the deepest place in our hearts of our hurt and and need and pain. He wants it to get underneath it, in fact. And and Paul illustrates here that this is especially true when we are sharing in Christ's sufferings, right? This is true for all affliction, for all suffering, but, but Paul seems to say there's a special way in which we experience God's comfort when we suffer for him. And and that is we're willing to suffer as a result of our faith in Christ. As we seek to follow in Christ's footsteps, just as he suffered for us, we commit to live our lives for him. And, 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 and sometimes it is really going to cost us to do that, right? We'll lose out on opportunities that we might have had otherwise. We'll miss out on entertainment that we would have enjoyed otherwise. The list goes on and on and on. But what Paul is saying here is he's saying, do not let that stop you. He says, because we do not just share in Christ's sufferings, we share in his comfort too. And and so often when we face the choice of moving into something that might cause us suffering or moving away from it because it will hurt too much, we we only consider the negative end of the equation, right? Which is, this is going to hurt, right? People are going to think I'm weird. I'm going to lose out on an opportunity. All of those things that go through our minds. But what Paul is saying here is that sometimes we neglect the positive side of of the equation as well which is that if you experience suffering, God, in a unique way, is able to pour out into your life his comfort. And so we shouldn't let the fear of suffering put a stranglehold on our lives because our afflictions become for us the means by which we might enjoy the comfort of God. And whatever it is that we pour out, whatever it is that we lose, God, from underneath that, is able to fill it back up again. So, how do we do this? How do we experience the comfort of God in the midst of affliction? There's so much that could be said uh, about this, and you know we could spend several weeks on this, but I'm just going to give you one uh, thought, one thing to pursue, one thing I hope is helpful to you. If you want to learn what it means to find the comfort of God in the midst of affliction, read and study the Psalms. Read and study the Psalms. That's the best place to go because so many of the Psalms are that person, usually David's, their experience of affliction and comfort. And I'll give you just a really good block of Psalms to start with. They're Psalms 54, 55, 56, and 57. 
Uh, another block of psalms that will help you to learn how to do this is uh, they're, they're kind of around Psalm 121. And in, in fact, Psalm 121 itself is just a wonderful psalm for this. In fact, David begins that psalms with, with these words. He says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And what David is doing there, which is so instructive to us, is he's going through this moment of difficulty and he says, instead of just looking horizontal, right, to find the solution, to find the thing that will help, to find the thing that will comfort me in some way, or instead of just looking within myself, he says, what I do is I raise my eyes to the hills, right? I look up for for help that's coming for me. And he says, where does my help come from? And it comes from the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. And he just reminds himself through this poetic song that that he's written of, of who God is and all that he's done and that his promises are true. And you'll find in the psalm that he's, he's, he's like pushing his eyes up and he's preaching himself a, a sermon so that he'll remember all that God is so that he might put his comfort in God alone. And that's part of what we do in affliction, is we lift our eyes up to the hills. We look for help that is outside of this world. And we bring our hearts to the Lord through his word, through prayer. And we invite him to help us. We invite him to to comfort us. We we don't be shy in, in pouring out our afflictions, even weeping, if that's what comes to our hearts. Now, how do we know when we found God's comfort? What what is that experience of God's comfort that Paul is is talking about here? Well, the only thing that I can say about this is that you'll know it when you find it. You'll know God's comfort when you've found it. Uh, Very importantly, God's comfort doesn't necessarily mean a solution to whatever the problem is that you're facing in life. It, It tends to be more of a sense that God is just present with you. God is is with you. He's there for you in your suffering. It it probably won't always be experienced the same way in your life. Sometimes it might feel like a feeling, sometimes a wonderful feeling. Uh, Sometimes it's just a, a sense that in spite of all of the weight of your problems and burdens, that you are so loved by your heavenly Father that you feel like your heart might explode. You feel like it just might burst out of your chest and you can't explain why. That's what the Bible calls joy indescribable and full of glory. You uh, may feel, instead of that, just, just an incredible sense of peace. The Bible calls that a, excuse me, a peace that surpasses all understanding, right? And the sense of that is there's a hurricane around you, but you're right in the eye of it and it's calm. And you can see it. You don't deny the the hurricane, but there's something inside of you that is so at peace and you have no idea why because you feel like you're going to get hit by something at any moment. Sometimes it's just a glorious feeling like that. Uh, Other times it's not that way. God chooses to give us his comfort in, in many different ways. Sometimes it's just a strengthening of our heart, right? Sometimes it's a renewal of our our courage or our hope or our sense of purpose. Sometimes it's more of an intellectual sense that we just need to keep going forward. 
or maybe that we, we need to take a step back and, and reconsider some things. Sometimes it, it's just this, this recognition that, you know what, God, I cannot make my life work. I am so weak and I am so frail, but it is so good that you are so big and you are so strong and you are so powerful and it, it might just lead your heart to want to worship God and just enjoy the fact that it's okay to be small because he's so big. And sometimes that comfort from God is just a a sense of gratitude that says, I made it through another day. I thought yesterday when I went to bed that I wouldn't be breathing anymore. I don't know how I made it through that. Thank you, God. Thank you that that I'm still here. I'm, I'm not hospitalized yet. And sometimes I will say that the comfort of God is elusive to us. It's elusive to us. We don't see it. We don't feel it. We, we don't have any sense that there's been a, a result from uh, bringing our hearts uh, to God. And David, he had that experience sometimes. Again, that's why I encourage you to read the Psalms. Sometimes that was the way that he felt. He would call to God, where are you? And there's lots of reasons why sometimes God feels elusive. Sometimes it's us. Sometimes we, we need to keep at it. Sometimes we need another person who can help us, and God is, is showing us that we need that other person. There's all kinds of reasons for that, but the, generally what I would say is that maybe one of the best descriptions of all of a person who is experiencing the comfort of God in the midst of suffering comes from the last stanza of the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And it, and it goes like this. It says, Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Now, if you are suffering, you can sing that last line of that hymn and really mean it. You, you found God's comfort. That's part of it. Those, those things become ingrained inside of our heart and they strengthen us and they help us. And this is just another one of those wonderful ways that God is able to bend our afflictions into something useful and good for us. He uses them so that we have an opportunity to experience the riches of his comfort. And I, I hope you can look back on your life and be glad for some of the suffering you've faced. And think back to those times that God comforted you and, and, and what that meant to you. And, and I hope that that gives you the courage to face the things that you face today and to lift up your eyes to the hills. Well, finally, uh, the last point that Paul is going to make, and I think this is something that really completes the picture, is that God uh, redeems our afflictions by using our afflictions so that we might comfort other people. He's already mentioned this in verse 4, but if you look down at verse uh, 6, he says, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we're comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Okay, remember now, Paul is talking to this group of people in this church in Corinth, and he says that 
his own personal experience of affliction, and then out of that comfort, God is going to use for their comfort. Meaning that his afflictions, the way that he sees them are that they're actually a means by which he can receive God's comfort so that he can pass on God's comfort to them. And and this is why Paul takes comfort in his afflictions. It's because he knows that that comfort which he receives is going to be used to comfort other people. We don't usually think of this really when we're going through afflictions, but what, what our afflictions might mean to somebody else Um, how our afflictions might be useful to someone later on in life. Your afflictions and what you do with them, to whom and and to what you bring your afflictions to, will determine how useful you are to others as they face afflictions of their own. And in order to be useful to other people, you first got to suffer afflictions of your own. In order to be useful, you you have to suffer afflicted affliction. If your life is completely free from pain and from fear and stress and anxiety and all of those things, or if your life has those things in it, but you avoid them, you, you try to ignore them, you, you just take a tape a, a band-aid over every uh, sorrow that enters into your life in an effort to try to drive it away from you as far as possible, then when other people come to you for help, they're going to find that you are a very shallow well to draw from. To be useful to other people, you've got to first taste what it means to truly suffer. You have got to face your suffering honestly, and not run away from it. And then secondly, what you've got to do is you've got to learn how to bring that suffering to God. You've got to learn how to weep before God, how to lift your eyes up to the hills, how to learn those lessons that David learned out in that field and and as he struggled in all of the things that he struggled with during his lifetime. We lift up our eyes to God in the midst of our afflictions. And then those people in your life who you love, your spouse, your, your children, your coworkers, your family, whoever they are, when, when they come to you because they are in a, a place of darkness and despair in their own lives, then not only can you relate to them, not only can you just immediately empathize with them, and not only do you have credibility speak into their lives because you've been there. But you know what you know? You know what they need most because you've experienced it. You've tasted it. You know what the sense of God's comfort is. And and what I really think is so true in so many areas of life is also true in this, that you can only ever comfort a person so far as you yourself have been comforted. So there is a a sense in which Paul says, I will take discomfort. I will receive affliction. But God, give me comfort, not just for me, but for anyone in the future who also needs to share in that comfort as well. well. Let me begin to wrap up here by just saying something about this that's on a practical note. Um, you know what sometimes the worst thing that we can do for somebody else is when they come to us with a problem to help them solve it. 
Sometimes that's the worst thing that we can do, to jump right in and try to get pr- real practical with them and to figure out kind of a pathway through the weeds that they haven't noticed yet. But, but sometimes when we do that, when, when we dive right into a person's life like a mechanic who's trying to fix a broken minivan, does it make sense that sometimes our, our good intentions to help might accidentally short-circuit God's process in their life? What God wants to do in using that person's afflictions to make them aware of things that they wouldn't be aware of otherwise. And so that they might receive from God comfort that they would not have received from him otherwise. Sometimes in our effort to help, what can happen is we can become to them a kind of a false savior, you know? They might begin to think of a person who's like a guru whose advice can kind of rescue them from all of the pain of life. Or even the, the person who's trying to help might think that my own comfort in and of itself can be enough for them. I can comfort them through these things. I can do it. But God wants to use a person's pain to make them thirsty for him. And ultimately to show him that he really is the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. So that that's not just a title for God. That's that person's experience. God really is my father of all mercy and my God of all comfort. And so it's just an encouragement that we we not always dive in with our guns blazing when, when people are struggling in life. And we can get practical eventually, but sometimes it's really helpful to, to just listen well and to empathize empathize with them and be prayerful and make our first priority asking ourselves, how do I help this person to encounter God as they go through this? What is it that God might be wanting to do in their lives? And how can I help this person to find God's comfort? How do I lead them to it? How do I help them to bring their eyes from here up to here so that they can see that He really is the maker of the heavens and the earth and that he's certainly there for them. Well, these are three ways that God redeems our afflictions by using them to help us recognize that we can't find comfort on our own, that God's the only source of comfort in life, by using them as an occasion for us to experience the riches of God's comfort and in in using them maybe immediately, maybe not until years later, but by using those afflictions to comfort other people in their time of need. And so just to wrap things up in a nutshell, what I think this passage teaches us, you know, as I've thought about it for myself, and, and I hope as you have received perhaps this morning, I think it teaches us not to run away from our suffering, not to live in fear of affliction, And that when our suffering does inevitably come, and it certainly will, not to waste it. Don't waste your suffering. It's so much easier just to live in denial or or to numb those things in life that are so painful to us. But the degree to which we face our suffering honestly, and that we bring those afflictions to the Lord, is the degree to which he will bring his mercy and his comfort to bear on our hearts, which is, in turn, the degree to which we are able to be a a reflection of that 
comfort. And in fact, even more than that, sometimes a guide to that comfort in the hearts of others. And I believe that those are three ways that God wants to use all of the mess, all of the pain, all of the hardship for your life for good today. Let's pray. Father, I uh, thank you for all of these truths here this morning, and I know that only a God like you could be powerful enough and good enough to actually use those things that we experience day to day for our good. But I also know that it's not enough. I I also rest on passages like Romans 8.28 that say there will one day be no need for you to use our suffering in that way that one day you will dry every eye and that sin and death and pain and suffering will be gone forever. And that day at times feels so distant to us, but we pray that by your spirit, you would help us to long for that day, to long for the, the rest that you promise is coming to all those who know you through your son. We pray for those who are suffering here this morning. I I could list a thousand things that that I'm sure are happening in people's hearts and lives and and families and other relationships and sufferings that are just internal that no one even knows about. But we thank you that you know about those things. We thank you that you have um, promised that the pathway to you is open to us. Thank you that Jesus actually gave up his life so that we can be united with you and that we can bring you our burdens, that we can weep before you and you never get sick of us. You never get tired. You never say, oh, go go, go away for a little while. Settle it on your own. Father, we can come into your presence and we can know that we are received and we can lay down at your feet with all of our burdens and know that you are there. We thank you for that hope today. And we pray that each person who is suffering might experience that comfort, that you would lead them and guide them to that. And that you would one day use that comfort to impact other people who will need it just as bad. We thank you for this church. We thank you for this time to be uh, encouraged by these things that the Apostle Paul wrote. May you please help us to apply them to our lives. In Jesus' name.